Hey, Harvest, how are you doing? Hope you're doing well. Um, I just wanna start off by wishing all of the dads in our church a very happy Father's Day. And uh, you know, we say this a lot to our men that really the men are, are responsible for setting the spiritual temperature of their home and they're in charge of um, setting the relational temperature of their home and the fun temperature of their home. And, and being a dad that, that honors the Lord is a really, really difficult job. And I'm just so thankful for the men in our church. And I know so many men who do this so well, who are humble, who love the Lord, that lead their families, to the cross. So, so do me a favor. If you have a dad that models that well for you, or if you have a husband that's doing a good job, could you celebrate them today and encourage them? Because being a dad, it's not an easy job, but it's a, a high calling. And when we do that well, man, does our families and the people we love really flourish around us. So thank, thank you for you. Happy Father's Day. Hope you feel loved and blessed this weekend. All right, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter one. And we're in a series that's called Joy for Today. And what we're doing is, is we're studying the book of Philippians, going through it verse by verse. And the book of Philippians, it's known in the Bible as the joy book. Like we're telling people, if you're struggling with joy, or if you wanna find out how to have joy in difficult circumstances, read through the book of Philippians. And Philippians is a church that was planted by Paul. Paul loves this church. And what he's doing is, is he's teaching them and he's encouraging them that, listen, no matter how difficult life is or how bad things get, nothing can take away our joy in Christ. And Paul is writing this from prison and he's telling the Philippian church, listen, even in prison, as I await my death, that has not affected my joy in any way because my joy is rooted on the in the purposes, plans, and people of God. This is really about joy, this whole book. And the way Philippians is structured is really interesting. Chapter one, Paul gives us the secret to having a life filled with joy. And then the rest of the book, he talks about how Jesus modeled this and how this can play out in our life in practical ways. So here's what that means. Getting Philippians one right maybe might be one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible for us to get right. Because if we don't get Philippians 1 right, we're never going to be a people who live with joy. This has huge implications practically on how you and I are going to navigate our lives. And again, in Philippians 1, Paul is giving the secret to how do I have joy in each and every circumstance. So instead of a big idea this morning, I have a big secret. And here's, here's what it is, it's this. The big secret is this, the amount of joy I have in my life is completely dependent on where I choose to start. Or maybe another way to put it is that joy is ultimately a choice on what perspective am I going to view my life through. So here's the best way I can explain it. Imagine two roads and these roads have different starting points and they end in very, very different uh, directions in different locations. And these roads, they never intersect. They're two separate distinct roads and we have a choice, which road do we wanna take? The first road starts with selfishness and it starts with yourself. And we can choose to view our life simply through our lens. Like, how does this affect me? How am I feeling about this? How, how does this impact me? We can choose to view our circumstances selfishly. We can choose to go on that road. And the destination that that road always leads us to is misery. And God offers us a different road that we can take where we can start with the gospel. We can start with God and view everything through the lens of what God is doing in our life. And if we choose that road, the end destination is always joy. 
Now, now these roads never intersect, they never cross over, but we can hop from road to road by making a choice of how we want to view the circumstances in our life. There are two different roads that lead different places. And, and, and I need to explain what I mean when I say start with God or start with the gospel. When, when I view the circumstances in my life with my starting place as the gospel, here's what that means. That means that the greatest reality in my life is that first and foremost, my identity is that I'm a child of God, that I've been created by God, that I have relationship with that creator. And not only that, but God in love has sent Jesus Christ, his own son to die on a cross and save me and purchase my freedom and relationship with God that I'm empowered by God's spirit and that the promises that God made to me are always going to be true, that he is working everything out for his glory and for my good, that, that God is not disconnected from me, but he's engaged in my life, working in every circumstance that I might grow in faith and trust and love for my creator. Now, if I start there, I can view my circumstances as God loving me, growing me and building me to the person he wants me to become. So even in hard situations, I can have joy because I believe that God is working. But when we make everything about us, when it's only how am I feeling or how are people perceiving me, when we make ourselves the central point, when we worship ourselves, that always leads to misery because we're worshiping a false God. You know, if you've been at our church for any length of time, you know that I say this phrase often, but think about the most miserable person that you know. All right, do you have that person in your mind? If they're sitting with you, you know, don't nudge them, don't say it out loud, but think about that person. Here's the question, why are they so miserable? And I would bet that the reason they are is that they've developed selfish patterns of thinking that they simply can't break themselves out of. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe that person is really, really bitter because they feel like they've been mistreated or overlooked and they can't get over the hurt that's happened to them. So they're angry and they're bitter and they're miserable to be around. Maybe it's just self-worship and self-absorption and everything revolves around them and they can only think about how they look and how other people perceive them and, and, and everything is always about them. No one wants to be around that type of person. Maybe it's just the fear of what other people are thinking have caused people to live in a box of anxiety in a prison because they're so concerned with how they're perceived that it just robs the joy out of their lives. Well, God wants more for us than that. And what Paul's going to do in chapter one is teach us the secret to having real joy that lasts in every circumstance. So again, if you have your Bibles open, look at chapter one, starting at verse three. Here's what it says. It says this, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you in all, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So if you take notes in your Bible, underline that verse because it's the key. He's saying the key to having joy is, is we have to remember that, that what God has started, he will finish. 
All right, look at verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart and you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Christ through the glory and praise of God. Okay, so here's the first thing Paul's teaching us in chapter one, it's this. It's that when I view my life through the lens of the gospel, when I start with the gospel, I find joy in the people of God. And it's interesting what Paul's doing. He's just telling the church how much he loves them. He's like, man, I'm so proud of you. I, I care so much about you. I'm praying about you for you all the time. And when I pray, my heart is filled with joy. And he goes, I want the best for you. I want you to grow in righteousness. I want you to grow in purity. I want you to grow in knowledge and understanding and discernment. I want you to be ready to be approved as workers by God. Like I want the best for you. But here's what's really caught me off guard. Look again at verse three. Look at how he views his relationship with the church. In verse three, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Look at verse five. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Isn't it interesting how Paul views his relationship with the church? He says, listen, we're partners in this thing called the gospel together. You see, Paul never viewed ministry as one person just serving another person, but he viewed himself as a church planter partnering with the people in his church to glorify God, to make disciples and to do ministry together. And this really made me wonder and ask the question, how do you view church? Do you view church simply as something that you attend, something that you do, something that you go to, or do you view it as something that you are invested in, something that you're a partner with, something that, that, that you have skin in the game on? Like, can I ask you this question? Is the entire job of discipleship for the church at Harvest, does that all fall on my shoulders or on the shoulders of the other pastors and the other staff? Or is that something that we are partners in and that we're in this together? It's a question we need to answer because it's going to impact how we view the relationships and how we view church itself. Because if I view church as a partnership, the way I view my relationships with you and the people in our church is gonna be dramatically different. I remember a few years ago, I was meeting in small group and uh, we had gone to split time and that's where the guys meet with the guys and the girls meet with the girls and we go through prayer requests. And one of the guys in my small group goes, hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm thinking of changing jobs. And I like my job, it's stable, it provides for my family, but I've got this idea to start a new business and we're going to develop this app and there's gonna be technology involved, but there's this exciting new business plan that I'm really excited about and there's some risk involved. Um, the only thing that I'm worried about is that my business partner, the guy that I'm going into business with, with this opportunity, he's not trustworthy. And in fact, he's got a significant alcohol problem. And every night he gets blackout drunk and sometimes he doesn't show up to meetings. And I love the business idea, but the guy who I'm 50-50 partners with, I've got a problem with, and I don't know if I can trust him. And I remember in that moment, kind of raising my hand and being like, dude, don't go into business with a partner that you can't trust. 
because your success is dependent on your partner. And if there's character issues or, or if he's not reliable, it's not gonna go well for you and your family, right? Because partners are invested in one another, right? Like I think about um, my relationship with Pastor Marty who oversees our small group. We're partners in ministry. And the reality is, is I can be preaching and Sunday mornings can be really, really great and healthy. But if our small group ministry isn't healthy, it's going to impact the overall health of our church. So Marty's got to care about how I'm doing and where my heart is and make sure that I'm healthy and doing a good job, just like I have to for him, because we're invested in this thing together. And if one part's not healthy, the whole isn't healthy. Right, So if I view this as a partnership, that means that the people in my life or in my small group and who I'm doing community with, I'm gonna care deeply about how they're doing. Right, If I believe that we as Christians are called to represent Christ in our communities together and we're a team, and if my neighbor isn't healthy and doing that well, that impacts my witness and my testimony, then I've got to care about how everyone is doing and I've got to speak hard truth and I've got to be engaged and I've got to roll up my sleeves and be involved in the discipleship of one another. This is a a burden all of us bear together. And I think one of the weaknesses of kind of the Western mentality that we all have is we are fiercely autonomous and we tend to view everything just through the lens of ourselves and the individual. How does this affect me? How does this impact me? And we can very, very quickly, if we're not careful, just lack empathy for those around us. But if we are truly partners together in the gospel, if our mindset is, man, I need to build up and I need to love and I need to encourage those who are part of the body of Christ, man, that that, that sounds like a lot of hard work and it sounds like a lot of risk, but but I tell you what, um, that's the exact lie selfishness tells us. What selfishness tells us is, listen, it'll be easier in the short term if you only worry about yourself. You'll be happy if you're only concerned with you, but long-term that mentality will rob us of joy. Like I think about some of the greatest joys I've had as a youth pastor. And it wasn't in the event that went great or, or the party that we had that was really fun. My greatest joy in youth ministry is when you've invested time and effort and energy in students and you see them flourish in their faith and go on and, and replicate that with others. I think about our youth pastors, Dylan and Alec. Man, like I love those guys. But in high school, I, I poured a lot of time into them and it wasn't always easy and it wasn't always fun. And they were kind of a pain even sometimes. But man, they're serving the Lord. They're making disciples and now they're serving the young people in our church. That brings me great joy. There's other people in our youth group who have gone on to serve at other churches or or, or even just impacting people through their jobs and through their schools and relationships. It brings me great joy when you commit to serving one another and see how God uses that for great things. That's the key to joy. So I think Paul is challenging maybe our view on how we view church. It's not something we just receive but it's a partnership where we're all invested to build one another up together. Look at verse 12, here's what it says. It says this, it says, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Okay, the next thing Paul is teaching us, which is so important is this, is that when I start with the gospel, when that's my starting lens, the second thing we can do is we can find joy in difficult circumstances. Right, Paul's in a difficult circumstance. Like Paul is in prison awaiting his death, right? If anyone had the opportunity or the ability to feel like they've gotten a, a bad deal, it's Paul. He's serving the Lord, he's being faithful, he's doing everything that God has asked him to do and he finds himself in prison. Like he could have the get out of jail free, I get a bad attitude card. But he's like, no, that's not how I'm viewing my circumstances. And he goes, listen, look at all that God's doing through my imprisonment. I'm able to witness to all of the guards and all of the prisoners know that I'm here because of Christ. My, my opportunity to be a witness has grown while I'm in prison. And then he says, my imprisonment has also made other preachers more bold to preach the gospel. And they're accomplishing more them, with them going out and having multiple voices than I could do all by myself. He says, even through my imprisonment, God is using this difficult circumstance to further the gospel. And because of that, I have joy. This has been a good thing. Paul is making a concerted effort or choice to view his circumstances through the lens of what God is doing. And because of that, he has joy even while he is in prison. And listen, what Paul is teaching us, the secret is this, when we understand that joy is a choice, that means that it can't be taken from us, right? Happiness is dependent on our circumstances and that can be robbed from us in a moment. But joy is deeply rooted in a relationship with God, what his promises are and what he's doing. And no one can steal joy from us unless we allow that to be taken on our own choice. No matter what our circumstances are, we can choose to have joy. And this played out uh, in my life in a very real way this week. Um, this past weekend, we went up to my folks' cottage and we spent a couple days at the lake and we brought our kids up with us and was really, really looking forward to that time. And, and the weather was really nice. And um, my mom's side of the family, uh, for about a month a year, they come from Florida and they spend uh, a month in Michigan and they were coming this past weekend. So I was super excited to see them. I don't get to see my grandma very often. I don't get to see my aunts and uncles and cousins. So I was really, really looking forward to this time with them. And we actually extended our time up there one extra day because the weather was gonna be beautiful. They, my family had just gotten into town. It was gonna be a great day. And this was on Tuesday. And um, something happened on Tuesday, which doesn't usually happen. Um, my kids woke up and they decided to be terrible. And, and they just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And if you know my kids, you know that they are sweet and well-behaved and good. None of that was happening on Tuesday. And they were fighting with one another. They had bad attitudes. They were talking back to mom and dad. They were bickering. They didn't want to play. They wouldn't swim in the lake. They were just complaining. And I think they were overtired and were just over it. And so this day that I was looking forward to, to, to spend time with my family and be out in the sun, like it was just spiraling quickly. And it got so bad that by like noon, I was like, all right, kids, we're going home. If this is how you're going to behave, if this is how you're going to act, um, we, we're not gonna hang out here, we're going home. So we packed up early and we went home and I was driving home and I was just really, really angry. And I was like, I can't believe my kids ruined this day. And it was such a beautiful day. And I, I just can't believe they behaved this way. And it was embarrassing. And, and all of a sudden as I'm driving and I'm kind of fuming to myself about how the day didn't go the way I wanted to, the Holy Spirit started working in my heart. And it's like, Cal, this isn't all about you. Like 
Cal, I, I, what I'm doing here is, is I'm giving you an opportunity to lean into discipline and lean into parenting and to work on your kid's heart in, in a way that they need right now. And, and Cal, I'm giving you the opportunity to show your children some grace, maybe when they don't deserve it. And that can model an awesome picture of the grace that I give you each and every day that you don't deserve. And so honestly, as we were getting closer and closer to home, I had to start to repent of my selfishness and making it all about me and being miserable because the day didn't go the way I wanted to. And we got home and we sat the kids on the couch and we just had a family meeting. And we talked through their actions and what they did and how that didn't honor the Lord and how that was the wrong decision. But I said, I love you and I'm for you and I'm always going to love you. Here are the consequences, but I'm so glad you're my children. Like we had this great conversation And the end of the day, like the rest of the day, the kids rebounded, they had great attitudes, they played well together, everything was going great. And then Judah at like seven o'clock at night, right before bed was jumping on the couch, tripped over and split his head open. So the day ended with him getting a robot stitch or or a staple in the back of his head. So some days you just aren't gonna win, but that's okay. But the point is, is that like I had to make the choice to view this frustration through what is God trying to do in my heart? What's he trying to do in my kid's heart? And I could take a bad situation and have joy when before it was just all about me and I was becoming very, very miserable because things weren't going the way that I wanted to. This is the secret that Paul Paul is sharing with us. Listen, we have to view things through the lens of the gospel and what God is doing. That is the key for us to have joy. All right, church, so can I ask a really, really hard question right now? Like when I think of difficult circumstances, all of us have gone through a really difficult circumstance this last three or four months with the coronavirus, haven't we? And some of us have lost jobs. We haven't been able to meet as a church. Life has just very, very dramatically changed. Can I ask you a question? How's your joy been the last three or four months? Like what have you chosen to hyper-focus on? Has it been all of the things you don't agree with? Has it been all of the things you don't like? Has it been all of the decisions that have been made that you would have made differently? Has your spirit been one of complaining? And has that frustration spilled into what you've posted online or conversations with other people? Has your attitude been that of, this is how it impacts me. This is how I feel about it. Has it been selfish? Or have we made the concerted effort to say, all right, God, what are you doing in my heart in this season? Are you choosing to focus on all that God is providing and all that he is doing? The extra time with family, the slowing down, the the longing he's creating in our heart for spiritual relationships. Maybe it's teaching us how to submit and to suffer well. Like that's a good thing that God is trying to teach us in in this season. Are we thankful for that? Are we thankful for technology and the fact that we can gather together virtually and study the Bible and pray together and do all of these things that are so important? Or have we only focused on what we don't have and have fallen into the trap of selfishness which always leads to misery. It's a choice. Maybe it's time for us to repent of some attitudes that we've held towards our government or our neighbors or different people because we've chosen to allow selfishness to reign in our hearts. If this is something that you have struggled with, maybe you bring that before the Lord right now. All right, look at verse 15. It says this, it says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. 
But the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Okay, so the third thing that we see is that when we start with the gospel, we can have joy even in the face of injustice. We can have joy even in the face of injustice. And what Paul's saying, he goes, listen, I understand that there's some people out there that are using my imprisonment to to slam me or, or they're preaching Christ, but they're condemning me while they preach Christ. And some do it because they love me and they understand, but others are doing it out of rivalry. And he goes, listen, even the ones doing it out of rivalry, if they're preaching Christ and people get saved, I rejoice in it. I'm not offended by it. And I tell you what, this would be the one that would be hardest for me. Like if I was Paul, I'd be like, really? Like I'm in prison, I'm suffering, I'm headed to my death, you're free and you're using your platform to kick me while I'm down. Why would you do that? You see, I'm a high justice person. I want things to be fair. I hate being lied about. I hate being misrepresented. I hate when people assume what my motives are that like creates an anger in me that if I'm not careful can lead to selfishness in me lashing out. But Paul's like, even when people don't treat me fairly and don't treat me well, God can even use those things to advance the gospel. And in my response, I can model trust in Jesus Christ and that will advance the gospel. So I rejoice in what God's doing, even if it doesn't seem fair to me in this moment. And I think our perfect example of this is found in Jesus Christ, isn't it? Like there's no one in the world that suffered more injustice than Jesus did. But that didn't rob Jesus of the joy that he had. In Hebrews 12, two, it says this. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, here's what that passage is saying. It's saying that Jesus even went to the cross, the most unjust, unfair moment in world history, because he knew that by him suffering injustice, he was purchasing our salvation and our relationship with God. And he did it with joy in his heart because he knew that what God was going to do was he was going to save the world through Christ's act of submission. So when Jesus was faced with injustice, he chose joy. When Paul was faced with injustice, he chose joy. And we have every ability to choose joy in the face of injustice. But if we make things about us, we're gonna rob ourselves of that divine joy. You know, it's interesting. I remember growing up, I had a job where I was a referee for indoor soccer games. And um, I would coach or ref often young kids. It was like eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. I was just in high school. So they wouldn't let me ref the older kids' games. But even for you eights and for you nines, it was very, very clear which coaches and which parents loved their kids and were supporting their kids and made it all about the the experience the kids were having and which coaches and parents made it all about themselves. And some of us have the temptation to even view this, to view our children as a reflection on us and we wanna get selfish and we think that their performance reflects good or bad on us. And like, I would have to throw parents and coaches out of U8 games. And it's like, these kids are like picking their noses and falling down. This isn't worth like yelling and screaming and cursing at one another over. 
right? But when we choose selfishness, when we choose to make things all about us, things get very, very ugly very, very quickly. And again, joy is a choice for us to, how are we gonna view our life? Is it gonna be through the lens of the gospel or through the lens of our selfishness? And then here's the last thing I would say, here's a closing thought for our time together, it's this. It's that joy is not optional for the follower of Christ. Joy is not optional for us as followers of Jesus. One of the things that Jesus does while he was on earth teaching is he said, listen, there are certain fruits of the spirit that when we have the Holy Spirit, which is a gift of our salvation, when God is residing in us, our life is going to look like certain ways and there's gonna be certain things growing in us. And he calls them the fruit of the spirit. And one of those fruits is joy. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And one of the things you need to understand about the fruit of the spirit, it's not like when you go to the store and you choose what fruit you want. Like I'll have some of gentleness and I'll have some of self-control, but I, I, I'm leaving joy at, you know, at, at, the, at the table. I don't want that. That's not how the fruits of the spirit work. They're all part of the same fruit that's growing together in our hearts at the same time as we become more and more like Christ. Okay, so here's what that means, that one of the evidences of our salvation is that we're people whose our starting place is with God, that our greatest reality is that we know God, that he loves us and that he's working in every circumstance. So we, we're not perfect, but we can grow in choosing to live on that lane in that road and to have joy even in difficult circumstances because we see what God is doing. And even when we don't see what God is doing, we trust that he is working because he's good, he loves us and he's faithful to his promises. So church, where in our lives can we choose joy? And that's a question I'm gonna trust that the Holy Spirit starts working in your heart on. Maybe you talk about that with your small group. Maybe you talk about that with your family. What circumstances in your life right now can we choose to have joy in? Let's meditate on that. Let's wrestle with that. And then while we're doing that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this time. I'm thankful for this season. And God, I confess there's been a lot of moments in the coronavirus pandemic where I haven't been thankful. And I've been worried and I've been frustrated and I've lost heart and I've been overwhelmed. But God, um, right now in this moment, I'm choosing to, to view this through the lens of what you're doing. And I know that you are working in our hearts, that you're refining us, that you're teaching us important lessons that we have to learn right now. So God, thank you for what you're doing. Give us the strength to choose joy. May your spirit be ever present in our lives this week. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Thanks, Harvest. You are loved.